Building a game is not easy. The development team needs to figure out a unique design and gameplay mechanics that will attract players. There's a great deal of creative work that goes into making a game successful, and these games are often built with low budgets by people who are driven by the art and passion of game creation. A game engine is a system used to build and run games. Game engines let the programmer work at a high level of abstraction by providing interfaces for graphics, physics, and scripting. Popular game engines include Unreal Engine and Unity, both of which require a license that reduces the amount of money received by the game developer. Godot is an open-source and free-to-use game engine. The project was started by Juan Lenetsky, who joins the show to discuss his motivation for making Godot. We have done some other great shows on gaming in the past. If you're looking for those, you can find them on softwaredaily.com. And if you're interested in writing about game development, we have a new writing feature that you can check out by going to softwaredaily.com slash write. If you are knowledgeable or curious about game development, we would love to see an article from you. So go to softwaredaily.com slash write if you're interested. Juan Lenetsky, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. It's a pleasure. We're going to be talking about Godot, which is a game engine. But speaking more broadly, what is the purpose of a game engine? That's a really good question. Originally, I have to admit that it wasn't really a game engine. Uh, so you, you get a bit more context on the origins of the technology. I've been doing technology for people to make games for probably over 20 years at this point. My main experience has been working with companies and working on creating tools for, for people to make games uh, since then. Because originally when I started working with video games, there wasn't any kind of uh, tool or game engine you could download and use like, like you can now. There was no Unity. I think Unreal costed like half a million dollars. So it wasn't very easy to, to get a hold of technology for making games. So initially, I think I mainly worked on tools for just companies and myself for making games. I made games with a lot of companies and licensed technology to a lot of companies for a long time. So it only began taking shape of kind of like a game engine, of a modern game engine, maybe in 2008, 2009, mainly because we are arrived to it from, from previous iterations that were not so usable. So it was mostly about improving usability. So when you look at, at the engine, what you see is something that had its own evolution and not so much copying something else. Most people who use it need some adapting time because it's not following most of the conventions of the other game engines because it had like a separate evolution. So right now it's like a game, a game engine is, for me, it was something that I used to make tools for people to make games. Maybe when I was technical director at companies then when I was technical consultant was always about that. But nowadays, there is all sorts of stuff that people make. They make like interactive stuff, like interactive graphics they use for movies, uh, for medicine, for simulation. Game engines are not really only about games now, uh, I guess. But I guess mostly they are. So I'm not exactly sure what could you call it overall. More like uh, they are still called game engines, but they can be used to make other stuff. There's even people making applications with Godot because you have very nice UI framework to work. But yeah, that's kind of my view. So going back, 
you're the head of development for Godot, and Godot is a game engine. Why did you start Godot? Well, as I was mentioning before, there wasn't any kind of game engine we could license back then when I started working on games, like in the 2000s. So that's kind of why. And it's also why some years ago when like general purpose game engines came out like Unity and Unreal and they became more accessible, both interface and and uh, usability-wise and price-wise, I guess, because now we can kind of use them for free. This is why back then I put what I had of technology as open source because uh, I wasn't really interested in just making a product. This was all discussed together with Ariel, Ariel Mansur, who actually uh, is the one who created everything from scratch with me. So we just put it open source for people to use. And it was kind of like a hobby for me for a while because I continued, I just moved on to more like business consulting for companies because I, I had a lot of experience in the industry and I realized that business consulting paid better and, and was a simpler job than just paying CTO or, or technical lead. So Godot was kind of like a hobby and I just work on it a few hours a day, just like improving and working on feedback from, from people. And from there, well, it started growing and becoming something big with a lot of very big user base right now. That's kind of surprising. I didn't expect it. Now, a game engine is a gigantic project. Taking on such a big project is a real big undertaking. And I don't know if there was a clear roadmap to making it something that would be profitable. It sounds like it was just started, you started it kind of as a a hobby or just to, because you wanted to make it possible to build games without licensing one of these engines. But in any case, it's this big undertaking. What was going on in your life when you first started the project? I was working as a technical consultant, so all the con all the technology I made was for licensing to other companies. It wasn't so much for a hobby or anything like that initially. It became a hobby later when I when we open sourced it. So I was pretty much just working for clients and giving them technology, usually for working for consoles or desktop or mobile, because it wasn't so common to get game engines back then. So that that's at the beginning, it was more like that. Oh, okay. So this you did build this as a commercial effort originally. Yes, but not something like a product that you sell to anybody who wants to buy it, more like a service rather than a product. Can you explain that in more detail? Yeah, basically, if you make a, a something like Unity, imagine, and you sell it. Well, back then, Unity was commercial too. When you want to sell it to your clients, uh, you have to give, spend most of your time doing support. So you sell it for some some money, and they must be able to more or less have something usable and and polished. So they require the least amount of support as possible because you just can't give support to pretty much everybody on the face, on the planet. While Godot was used for services, it didn't really need to be something super polished. It had to do whatever it had to do. And if it has a bug, our clients would just tell us about it and we would fix the bug and make the features they need for the games. It was more, more like a platform. We would give them stuff they need to make to make their games, not something like a polished product, I guess. This is why it was more a service than a product. Got it. Now, I'd like to talk more about what actually goes into a game engine. So maybe we could start with just the examples of Unity and Unreal Engine, which are two popular game engines that 
existed when you were starting Godot. Can you give me a brief history of these engines, like what they do, what the game engine ecosystem is like in those respects? I think to be honest, game engines have to be some of the most complex pieces of technology you will find around probably behind like operating systems and these kind of things. Game engines can do a lot of a lot of different things. They can handle re- they have to handle like rendering and handling rendering super complex. They have to handle like physics, they have to handle audio, they have to handle scripting. They have to handle a lot of I.O., like loading resources on background efficiently. They have to handle just so many things like image loading. And uh, well, so it's, it, they are really, really big and complex pieces of technology that that you require a huge amount of expertise to develop. I guess this is why there are not so many game engines around. If you, if you look at like big game engines that can do pretty much everything, you will only find like Unity and Real and Godot because it's something so complex uh, and requires exp- such an experience in so many amounts of fields that uh, you won't see many, many around. But yeah, it's a lot of different uh, disciplines and, and theory that mix together to put something in just one place. And I'd like to just walk through a very basic toy example and then use that to talk about the game engine from an engineering point of view. So let's say I'm using Godot and I want to build a, a very simple game. Let's say I want to make a game where there's just a 3D character that walks around in a small room. How do I make that game in Godot? Well, actually, 3D is not so simple. Uh, most users begin with 2D because it's just easier to to picture in your head and the math is, is much simpler because it's 2D. But if you wanted to do 3D, it's not so much different. In Godot, you have something called scenes and nodes, and you pretty much do everything with it. The closest I can think of to the way Godot works is something like a UI framework like GTK or Qt. Uh, I'm pretty sure you must be familiar with that. They have like uh, objects in Godot. It's similar that we call them nodes and you arrange them like in a tree. So, for example, your character is going to be a node, usually a kinematic controller, which is something that lets you like move around, splicing like a direction and a velocity, and it's going to just move around and collide with stuff. You will probably need to put children to that kinematic body, like the collision shapes, which are like define the shape of the character, or is a child of the kinematic body node. It's also collision shape is also a node. You probably want to have a model uh, of like your character. Uh, so you need a, a mesh, a mesh instance, which instances a mesh and puts it into the tree. Uh, when you move one of those nodes, all the child, children nodes move with it. You will probably need a, an animation player to play animations uh, to move the, the character. You will probably know, also need a skeleton. These are all just nodes you put in your scene. And then you probably want to put a script and you can assign a script to any node, which is almost like inheriting it in programming terms. So you create this scene with the character, which has like as a base node, the kinematic body, a node and all the nodes for like the meshes and the audio and the animation and everything. And you just save it to a file. Then you probably want to create the game scene. And then you probably want to import like, I don't know, maybe you you instance a castle from, you make a castle in Blender and you import it in Godot, adding collisions, uh, collision shapes, like what's going, you, you make special objects in Blender that, sh- that will be converted co- to collision when you import it to Godot. And then you just put 
you use something called instancing in Godot, which is like the, the core of the engine. Then you will instance like the character scene you made before, you will, instance, you will instantiate it into the world that you have made with Blender, that you imported also. So in the end, when you make something with Godot, you're just creating like individual scenes with nodes that each node has a different function. Usually nodes have a unique function and you put them together and arrange in a tree. And then you compose your game scene using different scenes that each contains node inside. So you just put everything together. It's very similar to when you make like UIs. Uh, you can probably create in Qt a window widget. Uh, the window widget will have buttons and text and everything. And then you can instantiate that window widget into another like parent window or parent uh, widget or something like that. It's a very similar way of working, very object oriented, but mostly for, for making games. So that's kind of how it works. You mentioned this concept, node. Can you explain how nodes are used to make a game? What is the concept of a node? So a node is something that has some sort of behavior. The behavior is just doing something. Not just a behavior, like it, it just it has to have like one function. It has to do something, but it's one function. Like for example, if you think of inheritance, like in object-oriented, you have to imagine that Godot has like a, a base class, which is the object base class. From the object base class, you have inherited the node class. The node class is something that you put in a scene. For example, you can inherit like the 3D node, the base 3D node from the node class. And from the 3D node, you inherit like 3D stuff, like for example, a mesh, which is a, a 3D model. You can instantiate like, a, not only that, sorry, you can inherit a, a light which is a different kind of node that you just put in the scene and gives you like lighting. You can put like a sun, a spotlight, an omni-light. You can instantiate that and also put like, for example, uh, a physics body. Uh, it can be a static collision or a rigid body that, that has physics. Then as a children of the, of the bodies, you can put shapes that will give it collision. It's just something that has one function and the relation between parent and child usually means something according to the context. Like for 3D nodes, the relation between the parent and a child node, uh, it's uh, they will like take over the position. Like you move the parent, the child, the child moves with it. For physics, a body can have like shaped children. That means that they will just give you like a volume to the to the to the body. So a node is something that provides a function and it, it's and you lay it down in, in a tree. Like it can have any number of children, and sometimes depending on the child, it may have a special behavior regarding to the child. That that's kind of what the node is. And these nodes are used to create scenes. What goes into a scene? A scene basically has one node, which is a root, and then you can put any other node as a child of it. The minimum requirement of a scene is that there is a single root. This allows you to instantiate it like somewhere else. So you just move it as a single entity. So yeah, that's basically, you, you, can, you can think of it as an object in object-oriented that, that it's something that is part of the, of the scene. Well, the scene is something that, that has this root node. And the thing is that you can save it and load it and you can instantiate it in another scene. So you can kind of divide and conquer to make your game. You just think of it in pieces. Like for example, if you're making a Pong game, like the two the two palettes of Pong, uh, each can be a scene. The ball is probably a scene that will contain some, some logic, uh, the sprite, uh, the collision. It's kind of like if when you imagine all the components or everything that makes up a game world, uh, you just divide it in signs to be able to uh, split better and to reuse better. If we revisit this example of just a 3D character walking around inside of a room, can you put that in terms of nodes and a scene? 
Yes, of course. Imagine, for example, I will tell you how a typical game scene is, is composed in, in Godot. You probably have like the 3D model, which is when you work on the 3D application like Blender or Maya or 3D Studio Max, it actually works also in a scene. It's, it's, it's for a scene in the terms of the, of the 3D content creation program. You just can going to make your meshes and just lay them around and put anything. So when you import this to Godot, it also is the same scene that you have edited like in, in Maya or, or in Blender. So to add something local in Godot, you will usually inherit that scene or instantiate it into a new scene. So you have the base scene, which comes like, imagine you, you export like a FBX file or a GLTF file, which is like 3D data. Godot will, that is just a scene for Godot, but you can't really modify it because every time you save it over because you do changes, it's going to overwrite it. So you can't really modify that one because you're going to be editing it in the 3D program. So what you do is in Godot is you can just like, imagine you, you create your character. You have a new scene, which is my character scene. It has like a root node, which is again a kinematic body, which you use it to control characters. And then I will instantiate the 3D scene with the character that I exported from Blender. Uh, so yeah, we have the scene and the instantiated scene. You can do local modifications to anything you instantiate in a scene in Godot. So you can like, for example, uh, change the shaders of the object or change the materials or anything else. So you have, imagine your character scene, you save it again. It's a scene that contains another one. So you do this for the enemy. You want to make like an enemy troll, for example, and you will create the enemy troll scene and you're going to save it to a file. And when you make a level, you are probably going to create a new level scene. Uh, you will probably instantiate like for example a few houses uh, like the ground everything that you can think of something in the game can be a scene usually you save it as a scene to, to organize better and then you can instantiate the enemies and place them in the map uh, visually uh, the enemies everyone is a scene but you reuse the same one you should just instantiate it like many times and then you instantiate the player uh, maybe in the player scene because it's the one you're controlling you want to also add a camera node the camera is just a node that you can position and it's going to like show you in the screen what the camera is looking at uh, as an example but maybe you want to do something else like in a real production game usually what you do is uh, the level design is saved in a scene then maybe you have somebody who knows how to do game lighting and this person is going to put all the lights in the... He's going to inherit the level scene and going to add like light notes to it just, just to make proper lighting and then going to save it. So again, it's, it's something like every part of the game you can think of, like an enemy, a light, a level, uh, even the, the UI, everything is just a scene in Godot and you just divided them you could have like one single scene with everything but it's not very productive because it's just much easier to just subdivide and reuse stuff so that's kind of what the scene is just a part of the game you think of it and then you save it and it's again it's like divide and conquer to to reach the goal faster a physics engine is key to building uh, a game engine if I want to add physics to the entities that are moving around within my game, what do I need to do? In the specific case of Godot, you create like, again, a kinematic body is usually what you do, and then you add the shapes to it. And then you can inherit the kinematic body using a script to control it. And from that script, you can just, for example, do, okay, I'm going to check if this key is pressed, then I'm going to move forward. And I tell the kinematic body, okay, kinematic body, okay, move forward. And if you hit something, okay, slide it. Like, you, if, for example, if you're falling down and you fall into a floor, uh, but the floor is like, uh, has like a, a slope, then you want it to slide down, then you just ask it, for example, to slide this kind of stuff you do from script. If you want to just like, 
for example, a barrel and you want to just kick a barrel around with realistic physics, it's different. You use a rigid body, uh, you're seeing a collation shape to it, and then when you touch it, it's going to just bounce off you because uh, it has physics. Internally, we are using the Bullet Physics Engine for 3D. We also have a custom-made physics engine that is pretty old. That I've been thinking about making it uh, more modern at some point. For 2D, we are using a custom 2D physics engine. But yeah, you have to make... Usually, physics engines behave more like game engines want, more a bit less than the way physics engines work, to be more user-friendly in general. So basically, yeah, we just wrap in some way the physics engine from our nodes so you can control them. Tell me about programming a physics engine in Godot. Like you had to program it to, to actually make the game engine be able to run physics. So what does that involve? Uh, we try to abstract that from users because programming physics is extremely complex. Uh, the code in a physics engine is super, super complex. Most of the code is like feedback based. It's not something that I, when you do rendering, for example, you start with some information and you finish with uh, a frame rendered. With physics, it's very more complex because physics needs to like feedback from the previous frame. You know, you, you do all the physics calculation and you leave all the objects with all their forces and all their collisions and all the contact points. And then you need to go back the next frame and continue processing that. So giving users the ability to do that, such low level is generally unnecessary and incredibly complex. So we just wrap it in an easier to way use with the most common use cases like this is a physics this is a rigid body it's going to bounce and and, and roll and everything like any physics object uh, if you want to make a character a character usually the characters don't use realistic physics because uh, it's it it may, it's very frustrating because it's just going to bounce or do stuff you don't want to this is why we use the kinematic uh, ones you have more control of what does of what that does but still collides against the world uh, but yeah, we try to just uh, wrap it and make it easier for the user, uh, just giving them simpler functions like, okay, this is your velocity, but don't care about collision. The collision is going to be handled by the physics engine. Maybe if you want to get like a, a callback or notification that something has collided, you can. But generally, we try to handle all the collisions and everything internally because it's way, way too difficult for users to to mess with that, I guess. Definitely. Now, we have talked about how to actually program some of the basics of a game in Godot. But I actually want to understand how the game engine is built and how it runs. So if Godot loads on my computer, if I'm playing a game that is in Godot, give me a quick overview for the software architecture for Godot when I start up my game. So Godot is basically something that has like a main loop that receives events, certain stuff, and tells you to just process uh, every frame. The scene tree I have mentioned before, which is that you make with nodes and scenes, just receives this stuff and has some logic. So when you make a game, you just make a scene, you save it, and when you want to run it, Basically, what Godot does is just run... There's just a single Godot binary. When you download Godot, it's just a single binary. It's a very tiny binary. People usually are surprised because when they download like Unity or Unreal, they have to download gigabytes of stuff. Uh, and Godot is just like a 20 megabytes binary. You download, you click, and it just you have your full game engine in there. So this small binary, it can 
uh, execute scenes is basically something that executes scenes and internally also has an editor which is the the one you use to make the games uh, the editor is actually made using the engine itself all the ui all the viewports all the nodes you use for editing is actually made with the engine itself which is pretty cool it's like self-made so you use a binary that is kind of the same but it doesn't contain the editor so it's much smaller it's like 20 percent of the size and this is you use what and what it does is you can still use all your files when you export uh, but godot will also let you like like compress all your files and put them inside a single file just for easier deployment and distribution so it's basically that just a single binary that lets you edit games and, and run them right so as you're saying there are when you're developing a game in godot there's an editor and the editor allows the developer to change the game. And when you deploy the game to the actual end user, what you said, it's 20% of the size of, of the binary when you're in editor mode? Yeah, the editor is most of the binary. It's most of the code of the engine also. Uh, the editor is huge. But it's all C++ and inside of the same project. I mean, the editor uses the engine in C++, but when you use the engine, you actually don't really use C++. Uh, you use a scripting language that comes with the engine. Or you can actually use Mono if you want, like for C Sharp. We have a lot of uh, users that use C Sharp with Mono. And in that case, you have to download the Mono SDK and use it with Godot. Uh, but normally, most users just use our scripting language because it's like easier to use, and Godot is meant to be an easy-to-use game engine. So it all comes bundled in the in the binary. So yeah, it contains the editor, the script interpreter, and everything. And you can actually use... It's very funny because you can extend the editor when you want to make plugins and stuff the same way as, you, as if you were making a game because you can run the same script, access the same objects. Uh, maybe you have a few more objects for the editor that give you an API to extend, but, but it's still mostly the same as you use when making a game. So if you know how to make a game, it's very funny because you can extend it very easily to make uh, a plugin or something for the editor. And how resources intensive is it to run a Godot game on my machine? Uh, it runs on really low-end stuff. Godot can run, it's very very optimized. And the new version of Godot 4 is going to be even more optimized. Uh, but it's it's very, it can run very, very old computers. If you, right now the version 3, which is the stable one, supports OpenGL ES3, which is the same as OpenGL 3.3, and OpenGL ES2, which is similar to OpenGL 2.1. And that goes back to computers from 2005 or something like that. So you can actually run it on very, very old computers, maybe with more limitations, of course, but it will still run. You have to imagine that it also runs uh, on mobile devices, which are like much slower than than, com than computers from desktop. The editor doesn't run on mobile, but the engine is the same, it still runs everywhere. And you can run also on, on the web via WebAssembly, which also is like more limited, but you can still run it and run your games on the web. So you get an idea, I think the engine binary is about 10 or 15 megabytes. And then everything else is whatever you make on your game. Uh, the rest is your own data from your game. Uh, if you want something much smaller, uh, Godot, since it's open source, you can get all the whole source code. 
and you can just disable parts of the engine you don't want and recompile it without that. And then you can create much smaller binaries if you want. When you're completely sure what you're using, what, what you're not using, you just can recompile. You can do this on release at the end of the development. Uh, you just compile a more a, a smaller version of the engine to ship for, for your game if you really want. And if you really, most users don't really need it, I guess. But for some, it, it's useful, especially for mobile, I think. And if you were leaving out different parts of the game engine, what would you be leaving out? Like the audio part of the engine, if you don't have any audio? Or can you give me some examples? Oh, yeah. Like, for example, if you're making a 2D game, you will most likely don't want uh, most of the 3D stuff. Uh, so you just compile it out. Code also comes with a lot of tools, like image format loaders and these kind of things. Uh, you can just, like, audio formats... Uh, and a lot of it has a lot of modules that compiles when you build it. A few dozen modules of different functionalities. Like let me give it a check. I have it here. So yeah, it has like many scripting languages. You can compile C sharp. You can use the bullet physics engine or not use it. There's like a couple dozen of modules you can turn off if you want. If you don't want them, like WebSockets, SSL for encryption. There's just way too many things you can turn off if you don't use. Tell me more about the the engineering process for building Godot. So it started off just as you writing the game engine, right? And then eventually more people started latching on after the open source community developed. Can you tell me the story about how it went from just you working on it to more people? Yeah, sure. So you make an idea to to begin maybe in it could be interesting to stress this because uh, it's it's an engineering podcast. Podcast in the end, my way of seeing software engineering. I, there are many ways of seeing software engineering. You will see lots of people making uh, different uh, softwares and APIs and operating systems and whatever. I'm a person that is very very how can you say like very pragmatic, very use case oriented. To me, if you create software, you have to do it exactly for what you are requested to do it, you know? Like, I started as a consultant and I wrote Godot for clients to use, and I would hear what they need, and I would may not do exactly what they want me to do, but I would, like, do something that just solves their problem. So the development of Godot is very problem-solving oriented. If you're going to add, like, a new feature to the engine, you will have, like, contributors that will come and say, hey, I will add this because it's super cool. And usually we will just reject that because for us, what's important is to add stuff that people will use and exactly in the way they need to use it without any anything else. Because a very common trap engineers fall into is trying to like future proof or make something more complex than it needs to be. Because you see like, or try to like, for instance, you, you imagine three use cases and you want to create a feature that handles all three because it's very flexible. I'm usually always very against that kind of stuff. I actually try to write very uh, down-to-the-ground software that does exactly what it's supposed to do. And if it doesn't, we change it. But never try to predict what the users will need and try to get ahead and write software that will do that. Because in the end, if you do that, I would say that maybe 90% of the time you will be wrong. You will be ending upgrading something that is more complex and more difficult to understand and to maintain that nobody will use that complexity for because you just guessed that maybe somebody will use it and, and somebody will not. So based on that, the engineering process of Godot is very uh, proposal-oriented. It used to happen a lot that we have 
because the source code is very, very easy to understand, uh, since it's very so much to the point, I mean, you don't have to, when you use Godot, you don't really have to learn a lot of abstract systems. Uh, it's every, every, uh, everything is down to the ground and does exactly what it has to do. So the code is very easy to read and understand. And this makes that we have a lot of contributors that want to add new stuff and they send us pull requests on GitHub. So many times they send pull requests and we are like, I have no idea if anybody's going to need this, you know? So what we're doing now is something very proposal oriented. Uh, before adding anything new, we ask users and contributors to submit proposals and then we discuss them and we can discuss for months uh, what the best way of doing something is. And when everybody agrees, uh, then we add it. So the engineering model is very like uh, consensus oriented, you know, it's like nobody will, I mean, I, I usually, can have the final word on something, but I will try not to. Uh, usually what we try to do is to, to look forward to consensus. You have to think that we have like over a thousand contributors to the engine. So managing this is extremely difficult, especially for an open source project where those who contributed do it on whatever they want, whenever they want. You just can't force anybody to do anything. It's not like they are your, your employees and you tell them, okay, do this and they do it. So the only way to move forward with with a team and of such sizes just to find the consensus. So we try to work a lot based on proposals and discussing those proposals and finding consensus. And when everybody agrees, then somebody will try to make an implementation and do a pull request uh, for evaluation. So it's a very bureaucratic maybe, but I think usually the end result is great because if you compare like maybe to commercial software for something like Unity or Unreal, uh, you know, they have clients and they pay for, for it and companies using it may need something or even Epic itself is a company that makes games and they may need features and they may need them in an urgent time frame because they need it for an upcoming game and they will implement it in the way they can because they have a, a fixed time timeline, a deadline. But we don't have any deadline at any point. So we take much longer to decide how to do stuff. But when we do it, we do it great. What we see like implementation usually like let me give you examples. If you look at Unity, Unity has maybe like three different user interface systems, several ways to do like uh, rendering, post-processing, uh, entity component systems. Uh, you will see that Unity implements something, then they are like, ah, let's do a new system, throw away the old one, make a new one, but you still have the old one. They have like many particle systems uh, <clears throat> because usually when you have to sell something, you have a deadline on how to implement something. They have many input systems. Like Godot has like only one UI system, one input system, one way to do rendering and loading effects, but it's really good. I mean, if you look at it, it's really easy to use, really well designed. It, we took a, a lot longer to do it, but usually it's something easier to use, more to the point, exactly what users need. So this is kind of the way we do engineering. I, I hope it's kind of clear. It may not be so, so yeah, simple to understand. Uh, we are very use case oriented, very proposal oriented, very consensus oriented. And it's the only way we can because it's not like we are paying a lot of people to do everything we want with a clear leadership. Everything has to be discussed because if if our contributors don't feel that they agree with the direction, they won't contribute. So we need to get all to agree and, and make sure we agree on what we want to do and move forward. It's very challenging. It's very interesting. When was the point where other people started working on the game engine. Can, can you tell me the story about going just from you to more people? Was there a certain point at which other people wanted to start working on it? 
It's kind of crazy. For a long time, it was just Ariel Mansour and I uh, working as consultants. And when we open sourced it the first year, we didn't have almost any user. A lot of people liked it and so promising it, but they filled or or issue tracker with improvements like ideas, like how to improve usability, what is broken. So the first year, maybe the first two years since it was open source, it was open source in 2014, so maybe until 16. All I did was just improve usability and make it more usable for users. And at some point between 2016 and 2017, I think by the time Godot 2.1 was released, it reached certain level of maturity that most people using it really liked it. And from then it started growing like exponentially. At some point I wasn't able to deal with all the issues and everything because it was too many users and I was doing this as a hobby. So I asked for help and then uh, Remy Barcel stepped up, who is the project manager. He's doing an amazing job so far. He coordinates all the contributors. He coordinates all the documentation. He basically knows what everybody is doing and what the state of everything is. While I can mainly focus on the technical side and not so much on the people side. So that's actually working really well so far. But every time, like every year, it's, it's just like doubles in size. Like, so it's really exponential. So we need to figure out ways to keep doing what we are doing because because it's too many people, too many users, too many contributors, and you just can't cope with that. So we are now looking to extend that, and we have like our core developers, which which are the most experienced contributors, and we try to give them like areas of the engine they are in charge of, uh, and usually they they have final say on that. Uh, they usually can ask me or uh, other guys about that, but usually they usually. Uh, have final say on this so we can start distributing the load but it's very difficult we are usually running behind uh, the growth all the time uh, we're always like trying to cope with past grow while at the same time it's growing bigger this is why a few years ago we started asking for donations and with the donations i mean i was a business consultant for game industry i was just doing this out of hobby i had to decide at some point to just move full time to work on it based on donations it wasn't easy because I had a whole career on this. I had to throw out of the window to dedicate full time to this. But since people loved it uh, so much and and it was growing so much, I think it was a right the right decision because it's really enjoyable to uh, accompany the the growth. So we now have a few hired developers, not many. We have grants from companies like Mozilla Foundation and Microsoft. Uh, we got an Epic Mega Grant recently that allows us to have a few more people hired. But we are still a very small core team of people working full time, like six or seven versus a thousand that do it on the free time. So it's not really easy, but we are slowly figuring out ways to do it. I mean, it's, it's just a super interesting challenge. It's very stressing, but it's, it's very enjoyable. I imagine there must be this feedback loop between games that are using Godot and the open source project itself. So I imagine there are games where people do things in Godot that push up the, against the boundaries of what the game engine allows for, which causes breakages perhaps and then you know an issue gets opened on GitHub like hey I'd actually you know can we can we change this thing so my game doesn't break? And uh, it leads to developments in the game engine. Can you tell me the extent to which that's true? Like, what's the feedback loop between individual games and the game engine? That's actually very complicated. 
It depends on the user also. It depends mostly on the user, I guess, because sometimes you hit a boundary. We know that that boundary exists, but we can't solve it right away. Like, for example, for 3D rendering, Godot is quite behind the other engines in performance because it's using very old ways of doing rendering. So we knew this for a while. We are working on Godot 4 right now that rewrites entirely everything rendering related, but it's going to take a while. So in that case, users have to wait. There's nothing we can do. But in other cases, users just know how to fix it and they just submit a pull request. Like, hey, this fixes this problem. Now it's much faster, like these kind of things. That happens a lot. We have a lot of pull requests open. They need to be evaluated and everything. We ha- used to have people just submitting the 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 pull request with something they need. But many times we are like, uh, maybe that's not the right solution. So if it's for a new feature, usually we ask users to open a proposal explaining how they would solve it or maybe inviting others to think of a way. And then we start the process of discussing how to properly do this. And sometimes it's just something that it's so simple. So they just submit a pull request if a new feature, but it's very simple. So we just merge it. It's a bit more difficult with large companies using it because they really need something and they have a deadline and they have a lot of money invested. So usually what those companies do is they have their own fork and they implement their solutions like their own solutions early. Maybe they will do a pull request for us uh, with that solution. We probably may not merge it yet because we want to do something cleaner, but we know that it's something that needs to be solved. So we put more priority on that. And eventually maybe a few months later, we actually implement this properly and the companies move from their own solution to to what we implemented, or maybe not. Maybe for that game, they already have that branch and that's it. So this is, in a sense, not so good because companies have to alter the source code. But in another sense, it's also pretty good because many companies using like Unity or something like that, when they run to engine limitations, there's nothing they can do. So they just try to compromise quality and do something that just works on whatever is there. But in Godot, they have more freedom. They can actually modify the engine to fix uh, what they need. Maybe they just do a quick hack that works for them. uh, And we wait until we can implement a proper solution. But yeah, it's a very interesting way of working, I think. Uh, There's a lot of uh, an ecosystem of companies contributing code and benefiting each other from it, like true open source project uh, that you won't really see much in commercial software. So it's, it's very interesting. Godot can run on iOS or Android. It can run on all the different desktop platforms, Windows, Mac, Linux. Tell me what you've needed to build to allow it to run in all of these different environments. Oh, yeah. Uh, Godot works pretty much everywhere we can make it work. works on, yeah, Linux, Mac, and Windows for the editor. Uh, You can export to the same platforms like desktop. You can run on Raspberry Pi. You can export to mobile, both iOS and Android. Uh, And you can export to uh, web via WebAssembly. works pretty well in most platforms. What we can't do is console support like PlayStation or Nintendo, Nintendo Switch because those platforms are completely closed. There's no way we can have any source code publicly using those platforms. And the only way you can actually get access to their APIs is by signing a very draconian, I guess, NDAs that won't allow you to give any knowledge of of whatever they are doing. So we don't support consoles, but since the license of the engine is MIT, there's companies already that are really the ports to console. Uh, There's two companies that specialize in console porting, which are Pineapple Works and Lone Wolf. 
and you can license if you're making a game and you want to publish on console you just ask them to to license it usually most people think that running on console is just ex pressing export and it runs on the console not really so much that you need to comply with a lot of technical requirements for console games so usually most games that publish on console need companies that will port it anyway so you just contact any of those companies and they get it running there but yeah we can't officially give away any of the of the how could you say we can't really license uh, for consoles and publish uh, source code because it's completely forbidden by by their ndas so let's say i want to collaborate on a game that I've built. So I want to hire designers and engineers and story writers. I want all of us to work together. And I know some of this collaboration can take place in the Godot editor itself, but can you tell me a bit about how collaboration works on an average game? Yes, usually when you, I think you probably remember that at the beginning we discussed that Godot uses scenes and notes and scripts. When you save those, they are just text files, pretty much. You just save them as text files to, to the file system. So your game is pretty much mostly text. You can save binary scenes if you want, but mostly it will be text. And then your assets like images and everything is binary. And you just use something like Git. You can just use Git and use a repository for developing with others. Godot is, since Godot is mostly text, uh, all the all the assets like scenes and notes are text. It's a very readable text format. So if you just change something, it will be mergeable and fine like any source code. Uh, so collaboration is mostly done with the existing uh, version control tools, and that works very well, actually. If you use a lot of binary files, you can use the Git LFS support for binaries. But yeah, usually you just use version control normally. And Godot is designed so if you merge other branches, it's going to like keep working. It will try to, it's designed so it generates as little conflicts as possible between files uh, working on different machines. So yeah, it's just optimized for version control pretty much. All right. Well, to close off, I'd just love to know, why have you focused your career on games? Why have games seemed so appealing to you? I guess I'm a person that likes the technical challenges. Also, I am a person that is very creative. I like like making music and making 3D stuff. I always like the technical stuff on the creative side. And honestly, I think games is the most, uh, one of the most fitting areas for this because you can do really complex math and complex algorithms and optimizations, and I really enjoy that. But it's all for the sake of creating something nice, you know? It's not just like maybe uh, improving a database or something like that. It's something artistic. People create amazing games with your tools, and that is very, very like rewarding. So yeah, I guess that mix is really enjoyable for me and probably for everybody working on, on on this because most of them, like technical guys who work on games and game technology, we play games, but we're not, we just don't enjoy the game experience, but we also enjoy the technical parts of game. Like we, we can see a sky and say, wow, that shader is amazing. I wonder how they did the sky shader. Or you can see an explosion and you're like, wow, what's that VFX? How did they do those particular effects? So we try to figure out how they did it, or maybe we can figure out how to do something better. So this mix of artistic and technical thing is something that, that game technology is, is great for. Well, Juan, thank you for coming on the show. It's been a real pleasure talking to you about Godot. Okay, it's been a pleasure. <laughs>